the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 245 for Monday, February 22nd, 2010. To the Mac Observers, Mac Geekab. I am Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. On the other end, from Fairfield, Connecticut, is me, <laughs> John F. Braun. It's afternoon here yet again. Uh, we, we seem to have settled into a Monday afternoon thing temporarily, which works. Mm-hmm. Work, seems to work okay. I'm getting used to the light shining in. I'm not used to the cold. I forgot to turn the heat on up here in the studio, John. So mm. it's a little chilly, but that's okay. I'll uh, I'll live. If you hear chattering, you know it's not the audio stuttering. Yeah. It's uh, it's just my teeth. No, I, had uh, the G, I had the G five on that. Uh, that in of itself uh, <laughs> heats the room up pretty good. Yeah, seriously. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so we have quite a few things to go through today. We've got a ton of questions, Sean. When I I got to my desk this morning and uh, figured, oh, I'll, I'll take about a you know an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and go through all the questions. Oh, you were going at it. I saw it, man. Because you know, of course, you copy me. Uh, right. You know, I do the pre-show and then you, you look at that and then you go through the things and uh, yeah, you're going at it, man. Hours, Ooh, hours, hours. We have like three shows worth of material. So let, let's uh, let's get right into it here and we'll go to uh, well, we you know, we issued uh, what we called a geek challenge last week, John, when we had a listener, Mark, I believe, that wrote in and asked, OK, I want I want to do is can I have a a way to get to the recent items from the keyboard? Now, the the the, the presumption was, you know, a single a keystroke. And we, we mentioned a couple of things, but we, we left it out there. And Finbar wrote in and said, I managed to accomplish this using a combination of an Apple script called Spark uh, or an, sorry, an Apple script and an application called Spark. And there's a little uh, what six line, seven line Apple script. Uh, and then uh, then assign using Spark, he assigned the Apple script to a hotkey so you can build an Apple script. And then with this application called Spark, uh, you can assign that Apple script to a hotkey. Uh, Spark is at shadowlab.org. We'll put a link uh, to that in the show notes. What we also have is a PDF of the Apple script itself, which we will put in uh, the show notes. So you can go ahead and, and uh, see what what Finbar wrote. But but that definitely uh, solves the geek or rises to the geek challenge so uh, kudos to you finbar that's uh that's fantastic so now john you found you found yet another way yes. without without any third-party stuff i solved our own challenge though it's not awesome. the best solution but but i do believe it meets the criteria in that uh, can you get to this menu without using the mouse i believe that was the uh right the, the preference being could you do it with a single keystroke sure. and this is not a single keystroke but, but you know it's in the back of my mind it was bugging me um in both Leopard and Snow Leopard, if you look in the System Preferences keyboard, you will see a whole boatload of shortcuts. And there is one shortcut, Control-F2. What does that do, you may ask? Uh, what does it do, John? <laughs> well, it, it, it's called Focus to uh, Menu Bar. And basically what happens if you hit it, and you, you can even do it now, it's not going to you know, hurt anything. The Apple menu gets highlighted. And then from that point, you can use your arrow keys and handily navigate over to the recent items. Though it may take you several key presses, but it accomplishes this without um, without having to use the mouse. Yeah, but that's handy to know because uh, it, in addition to it, you're right. It, it does solve Mark's uh, Mark's question, which was our challenge. But it uh, it also 
is a way, let's say you have to restart your Mac and maybe you have a, a keyboard that doesn't have the, uh, you know, the magic uh, uh, button on it that brings up the, the restart thing and your mouse isn't working for whatever reason, that would, uh, that would suffice, right? Because you could get to the Apple menu and navigate there and, uh, and away you go. Exactly, because um, so I would say that, you know, if, if you look at Windows, I think Windows has always had um, better keyboard support and that pretty much every option, I think, uh, on most Windows applications can be accessed through the keyboard, through right. alt or other key. Uh, Mac, not as much, but using this, the, you, you can access anything, whether or not there's an explicitly defined uh, uh, keyboard shortcut. That's right. It. Yeah, so, very cool. All right. All right. Uh, you know what? Let's uh, let's talk about our first sponsor here, and that is Circus Ponies Notebook version three. Uh, Notebook is a place to organize all of the uh, things organized associated with a particular project or subject uh, on your Mac. You might have uh, some text that you want to write down. You might have some PDF files. You might have some images. You can pull all of these into notebook and you can make multiple notebooks with it. Like things like, uh, you know, let's say you've got, you know, your recipes notebook and maybe you've got your uh, kids, you know, plans notebook or maybe a, a gift list notebook. And you can pull things in like your gift list notebook. You could say, OK, you could build a little hierarchical thing and you could say, OK, for uh, for my wife, I want to get. Uh, you know, she doesn't like flowers or anything. She wants like gadgets. So I could put, you know, new harmony remote or this, that, and the other thing. And then I could pull in links and PDFs for all that. And then maybe on John's list, but John, you do like flower. No, uh, um, you know, I could, I could pull in, uh, you know, maybe a new photo paper or, uh, or things like that. Right. And then pull in links to that and build it all together. And that way it's all right there. I've got a, a picture, I've got links, I've got the person's name and I can reorganize and if I remember, oh, yeah, you know, I, I put something in there, but I can't remember what it was. But I know that I put it in uh, three weeks ago. Well, you can use their multi-deck search that will search through the notebook based on the criteria you want. And that criteria could be, in this instance, uh, the date that you entered it. So uh, notebook is available from Circus Ponies. Uh, it's uh, CircusPonies.com. And it is $49.95. But before you spend your money, go and download it. They have a 30-day free trial. Convince yourself that it's for you. I know you will. And then forty nine ninety five heads off to Circus Ponies and uh, you get your license and you just keep on using it just like you have. So all available. It all starts at CircusPonies.com. And with that, John, I think we move to uh, to Johnny. Okay. Right. OK. Johnny writes, I've run into a problem that I've not been able to solve. I'm trying to view my statements at Dish Network. When I click on the link to open the PDF of my statement, it links to a file that on my desktop gets, or in my downloads folder, gets named statement.do. I believe that this is the result of a Java, Java applet that must open or download the actual PDF. I get the usual save or open dialog with the .do file, but I'm not sure how to proceed. I checked Java on my machine with Sun online tool and it reports that Java is installed and functioning on my Mac. I'm running Firefox 3.5.8. I tried Safari with the same result. What do you do with the .do file to get to the PDF? All right, uh, John, go ahead. Yeah, well, he's uh, and he's right. So a .do file, I'm, I'm looking around here and it is um, a Java thing. Uh, I guess technically a Java servlet, but, but it is a, a little Java program. And, you know, I don't know if there's any way to get around this, because what's happening is that at the point in time that he's trying to grab it, it's, it's running 
this uh, a script or a Java program or a servlet with that name, and the browser isn't smart enough, or, or the browser is saying, oh, well, you know, I'm looking at this tag, and then this is what it's called, right? Now, what you could do, I think, one way to possibly get around this, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to work, but if you do, uh, you know, save link as instead of just, you know, save. If you just do a plain save, then it is going to get saved with that name. If you try to do a save as, perhaps you can type in a different name, though I don't know if it's going to honor it. I think it's going to overwrite it, and it's, it is going to call it whatever .dl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that uh, that will do it. Uh, but you're right. Sometimes you don't have the option. I think in Firefox you're given more of an option. The the, the screen he describes lets him do exactly what you just described. In Safari, I, I think it 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 won't stop. I think it will it will just save it out. And uh, and in that sense, yeah, you just go into the Finder, rename it. Uh, when you rename it from .do to .pdf, the Mac OS X will say, "Hey, wait, you're changing the extension of this file name. Are you sure you want to do that?" Uh, and it's at that point that you you have to say yeah yeah change it to PDF that's the non default op- option the default will be to keep as .do change it to PDF and then it should in theory open up just fine mm-hmm. right anything else to add there John before we uh, before we try the next thing here nope all right uh, we'll go to David's audio question hi guys this is David from Boise Idaho uh, I've been listening to the show for a little while little over a year now, and uh, really appreciate all the help that you've given to all of us. Uh, My question is about syncing iCal with Gmail Calendar, Uh, and I've even looked through the communities on Apple.com, and it seems that a lot of people are having an issue where we can all get the calendars to download into iCal just fine, Um, but it's the reverse that we have an issue with. Uh, specifically me, uh, been able to get the Gmail calendar come in just fine, no issues there, and I'm able to get the delegations to come down as well. But I'm having an issue with getting my calendar published or synced up to the Gmail calendar. Um, Just can't seem to be able to get that to work, and I'd really appreciate some help there. This is where you cut me off. All right. You got it. Uh, yeah. So I'll, uh, this is my my realm here. I'll I'll take this one. iCal. Well, iCal sucks. I, I it, you know, that, that's like become my mantra. I, I say that to get to sleep at night because it's just such a comfortable thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this in this regard, there is something better. Uh, you have two options from busy Mac software. Uh, there are two pieces of software that will help. One is called busy sync uh, and busy sync is built to work with iCal, uh, but it will sync iCal with Google calendar. It'll also sync across your land, uh, but it will sync with Google calendar in a much more robust way than, uh, than iCal currently does. So, so that would be, that would be the first step. If you want to continue using iCal, go ahead and get busy sync and, and do that. However, uh, one step up, as I think BusySync is 39 bucks. For 49 bucks, you can get BusyCal, which is a complete replacement for iCal. It will pull in all of your iCal data automatically because they both talk to the calendar store uh, using sync services. And it has BusySync built into it. So it will do all the Google syncing right there from within Busy BusyCal. You can configure it right there. You don't have to deal with a, a separate preference pane or an app or anything. Uh, and it's much, much smoother. So. 
uh, I, I highly recommend checking out one of those two options. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to continue to run into kind of these these brick walls of of iCal um, as you as you try it that way. So. Anything to add, John, before we uh, before we move on to no, I, I, I got to say uh, iCal, you know, with the syncing and all that um, serves my needs, but my needs are, are modest. There you go. Yeah. You're a more demanding uh, user, especially when you talk about tasks and other things like that. But I just use it just to basically just have appointments and uh, have, you know, get alerts uh, when they're coming up. Sure. Sure. All right. All right. Uh, going on to George, we, you know, we have uh, every now and then we've got, well, not every now and then it seems to happen all the time. And maybe it's just because of the, the, the sheer volume of, of questions and comments we get, but we've got a couple of related things in here. Uh, and, and George, we'll, we'll let George start it off. He says, I'm, a rel- I'm relatively new to the Mac in that I have never done a fresh install of the OS. I'm thinking about upgrading my 24-inch iMac to a new 27-inch iMac. So here is my question. Sorry, folks. You know, John, I did that upgrade to Snow Leopard uh, to, to stop. Oh, the free, the free advice I gave you. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was worth uh, every penny. <laughs> Which would be zero. Uh, yeah, in fact, it was even it was, you know, there's there's a definition of worthless. And, and if you break that word apart, worth less. Right. So it was worth less than the time it took to explain it because it's actually costing me more time. Uh, in, in addition to having just upgraded to Snow Leopard and not made any progress uh, in terms of getting this stuttering problem to go away or this audio glitch issue to go away. It's actually made it worse. We've now had three interruptions in this show alone. Uh, and that doesn't count the two false starts that we had uh, because of the same issue. So, uh, so yes, this is, this is All right. a train teetering on the tracks. We will move on. George says his question is what is the best way to prepare my iMac for sale? I obviously don't wish to expose my data. I was thinking I would do a super duper disk clone of the old machine for backup before carrying out the migration assistant data transfer, then somehow erase the whole disk on the old machine and then reinstall from my Snow Leopard installed disk. Is this the best course of action? Along those lines, if I were to send uh, my machine into Apple for repair at some stage, how would I ensure my data remains secure? Would it be best to make a disk copy and erase it before sending it in? So we're going to answer the first question, and we actually have an audio comment that answers the second question in the in the form of a tip so john why don't you start with the first one and then we'll 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 kind of bounce it back and forth from there mm. oh migration assistant that aspect of it yeah 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 the first his first part yeah yeah well no the, the, to me that's um that is and you know that's a recent addition once they uh you know added a time machine but that's exactly what migration assistant is supposed to do if you have a time machine backup and you you want to bring all your data over to a new machine that the yeah, I, I have no problem with that. That's exactly uh, what you should do. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Yeah, the, mi- the migration assistant is the magic there. Um, but but then, then let's talk about preparing it for sale, the, the, the next stage of this, John. So he's done the migration assistant. He's also done a super-duper disk clone, so he's got a backup of this disk somewhere. So uh, so now he's he's got his new Mac, his 27-inch iMac, up and running Based on his migration assistant, he's also got this super duper clone uh, safekeeping somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for him to um, get this machine ready for sale, and, and he says he wants to somehow erase the disk and then reinstall Snow Leopard. What do you what do you think about that? Um, I would disagree with that. That that is not the course of action I would follow because I've done this in the past where I've sold uh, you know my trusty PowerBook G4 12 inch, 
Um, there are a number of issues. So number one, what I would do is install, uh, because he said Snow Leopard disc. He did not say the discs that the machine came with, uh, unless the discs that came with the machine have Snow Leopard. But, but, but just to be clear, there's a difference. So, so you get some discs that come with each machine that are very specific to that machine. Or, or pretty right. specific as far right. as they have the hardware tests and stuff like that. Well, and they also have all the apps that were supposed to yes. come with that machine. Like That's right. iLife and things like that, which that does not come with, with the OS upgrade uh, or the OS install. So the downside is that you may be giving it to someone and it does not have the latest operating system, depending on what you bought the machine. But it will be in pristine condition as if it was new except it's not but but it'll come as as it did in the box at least from a system configuration point of view what software is on there the other thing is kind of a little um so that's what i would do and kind of a little tangent here i would also not now i've seen this and i'm not saying that this is what's going to happen but i've seen this also and and i guess just the caution is when you uh prepare a machine for sale now i've seen people do this and i think this is very questionable legally is that they'll be like yeah i got the power book whatever or the macbook whatever and here's all these apps on here and here you go and i'm not only going to charge you for the machine i'm not going to charge you the thousands of dollars for the apps here i will be very careful about buying a machine where the person claims to be unless they give you all the media and all the licenses for all the apps uh and and just and don't just give you the machine with all the stuff already installed on there because that gets to be risky. One, it's legally questionable. And number two, if any of the software um, is still being used by the seller, which it may be, right. uh, I'm not going to say everybody who does this is being dishonest, but if they are, then you may end up buying a machine where if, uh, if they have you know, a particular sort of DRM, like activation keys, or they phone home or something like that, which is why you should use your friend Little Snitch, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, then you may get software that's going to die or you may get yelled at or, you know, the software cops may come to your door. I doubt the software cops will come, but right. um, don't. Uh, so. So, again, just a piece of advice. Don't be, uh, you know, don't buy a machine with the promise of all this free software on it that you're not being charged for because it could get you in trouble. So, yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh and I'm not sure what came with George's 24 inch iMac. If it was Snow Leopard, then of course, you know, putting the original discs on would get you Snow Leopard and you're good to go. But it's also possible that it came with Leopard 10.5. Uh, in, in this case, he's going to get Snow Leopard discs with his new machine. So what he could do uh, is install, you know, wipe the drive clean and then install uh you know, the uh, the original discs on there, which let's say they'll get them up to get the machine up to 10.5, then install Snow Leopard if uh, if the per- person purchasing it wants that done ahead of time and include the disc in with the, the bundle. Because if you don't need it anymore, then, uh, you know, then you include it in and, and you know, you've you've kind of done the guy a solid. You get them get them up and running on Snow Leopard, make sure the machine works for them and uh, and send it off. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't I don't like to engage in the legally questionable practice of of installing a ton of software on a machine and then selling it. That's uh, it just opens the the door a little too far for uh, for my comfort level. Now, the other thing you could do uh, one additional piece of advice is Mm -hmm. um, if you just reinstall the um, the OS uh, from the, the you know from the disk that came with the machine. Yeah. There's a slight chance if you're dealing with someone on the other end who's skilled. Um, that may not necessarily erase all of the data 
thoroughly. That's right. Um, so one thing you may want to consider, and it depends on how insane you want to be, but this utility has a number of format options. Um, and I think they have one, at the very least, I think they have one that'll, you know, that will also overwrite um, free space. Yes. Oh, definitely. Oh, they'll do it. Yeah, it'll do a, a, a one pass or a, like a 36 pass, I think, if you uh, if you do it that way. Uh, I, I'm yeah, hesitant so to open disk utility on this machine because, it you know, it'll make all the uh, stuttering happen. But uh, but yes, yeah. it is possible to do an erase disk in disk utility and and really securely wipe out the disk by yeah. overwriting the the data that was out there with one random ones and zeros. Yeah. So so the option here. So so I'm looking at it right now, and I'm I'm going to take the you know the the bullet for you, Dave, here, and, and do this just just yeah. because I can. Because you can. And, and we don't want and we don't want your the 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 system's already kind of teetering here. But anyway, so so it's in disutility. You highlight the drive, and then there's going to be an option, um, erase free the erase free space dot dot dot. You click on that, and you have three options: zero out deleted files, and that's the quickest. Maybe not the uh, and it's pretty good. Yeah. Then there's a seven pass. Um, if you're if you're really worried, uh, the the warning it's going to take seven times the amount of time. And then if you're totally insane or you have like national security secrets on your machine, you may want to do the thirty five pass erase. But you know, this is. could take that could take days. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite <weeks>. reasonably. Yeah, <laughs> if you have you know a terabyte drive or something like that. So yeah. um, uh, but yeah, consider those options because uh, again, if if somebody is determined or skilled, they may be able to retrieve. Uh, your old data, and you probably don't want that to happen. So. Probably not. Yeah. All right. So to answer the second part of the question, we'll play a tip that actually came in a couple of weeks ago uh, from John. Not not you, John, of course, but uh, listener John. Hi, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. Recently, I had to send my MacBook Pro into Apple Care for service. Not wanting to give Apple all my personal data, I copied my home folder to an external drive and then went to System Preferences, Accounts, clicked on my user account, and selected Advanced Options. Under Advanced Options, I changed the location of my home folder to the copy located on the external drive. I verified that this worked by re rebooting the machine. Everything, everything worked fine. I then deleted my user folder on the MacBook's hard drive and used Disk Utility to erase free sprays. I created a dummy admin account for AppleCare to use while they were fixing my computer, and I did not delete my user account. When I picked up my laptop, I was informed that the logic board had been replaced. When I got home, I logged into my regular account with the external drive containing my home folder attached to the computer. As expected, the computer booted up fine and I had access to all of my files. I then reversed the original process by copying my user folder from the external hard drive back into the user, user's folder on the laptop's internal hard drive. I then went back into System Preferences, Accounts, clicked on my username, select advanced options, and change the home folder of my user account to the newly copied home folder now located on the internal drive. After restarting the computer, I could not access any of my files. My user account did not have the permission to access the subfolders of my home folder. I selected my user folder, click, clicked on Get Info, and then added my user account, giving myself read and write access to the home folder. I then clicked on the sprocket at the bottom of the Get Info window and selected Apply to Enclose Items. I logged out and logged back in, and all was fine. Everything seems to be working okay. However, I just don't know if this was the right way to do this. My question is, have I done something to my data that may come back and bite me later on? 
Additionally, the next time I need to do this, what is the proper way to move and then move back a user folder? Thanks for your help. Love the show. Here's where you cut me off. I think that's awesome, John. Uh, and I'll offer my initial gut answer to that question, which is I think that's absolutely the best, most secure and yet uh, least impactful uh, mm-hmm. way to do this. Yes, it requires spending the time to copy the data back and forth, but uh-huh. uh, you're not deleting your user account. You're not losing all your preferences. You're not losing anything uh, other than a little bit of time copying the data. And that time is your investment in uh, in security uh, in security there. I, I think that's a great way to do this. Uh, what do you think, John? Um, I think he touched, uh, you know, we talked about some of it before, but I think he, the, the, the methodology is sound, and I think uh, every step that he described makes sense. Uh, as you pointed out, it'll take time, but uh, I'm with him on that. Um, yeah, because you never know when you send it away for repair where it's, where it's going to go, right? That's right. And, you know, so there's two things to be worried about when you send it in for repair. The, the thing that John's addressed, well, John's actually addresses both of them. His initial goal was to address, well, I want my data to stay uh, secure. And and that's that's great. You know, he doesn't want to share his data with with the Apple technicians that are out there. Can't really blame him for that. Although, uh, you know, chances are they don't have time to start going through your stuff anyway. But always better safe than sorry. The second thing to worry about is that when they're going through your machine, typically when you send it to Apple, they take a look at everything because it costs them money to get your machine from you to them and back to you. And in addition to that, you know, they're also working very hard to ensure, you know, the best customer experience possible. So the last thing they want is for you to have to send it back in three weeks later because of some other issue. Along those lines, they tend to test the machine for anything else that might be going on. They don't guarantee that they do this, but it, it's part of their standard practice. I've sent machines in and said, oh, yeah, you know, there's something wrong with the display. And it comes back and they're like, yeah, we fixed the display. Uh, we replaced the uh, logic board, the keyboard and the hard drive. It's like, oh, OK, you know, that that can be a surprise to you. Always assume that the hard drive will be replaced. So John's method also protects him against, you know, replacement of that drive in that he keeps all his data. Obviously, a super duper clone or a carbon copy clone cloner clone of the drive would uh, would would allow him to you know restore much more quickly, but at least in this case he's got uh, he's got a backup of his data. Now I think they used to. I don't think they offered anymore. I think they used to offer a data backup service. I don't think they offer that anymore. But you're right. But they did. They used to at one to. point for yep. a fee. They would they would guarantee that they would back up your data and restore it uh, yep. to. You're uh you're uh, if you don't go to Apple directly, if you go to an Apple authorized service provider, they will in you know at their discretion, offer a data backup service still. I know uh, the local one to me here, Mac Edge, I, I've seen it on the form. You know, do you want us to back up your data? Check here. And there's a cost associated, you know, it's and it's non-trivial. I mean, it's, you know, 50 or 100 bucks or something to to do that. But, it, you know, if you don't have any way of doing that or if you simply want it handled by somebody else, then they're happy to do it. All right. Uh, along these lines, we have a question from Jeremy that's uh, timely. Hi, it's um, Jeremy from the UK here. I have a question regarding backing up from a time machine backup to a different Mac. Uh, My MacBook Pro 17 inches had to go back to Apple to have its NVIDIA card swapped out, a known issue apparently that you you guys may know about that um, incidentally rendered it completely useless as it couldn't be woken from sleep by 
any means, taking the battery out, resetting the PMS, leaving it to run flat, running it with that, without the battery and the power cord in. Um, it just, every time you restarted it, uh, well, it wouldn't restart, it just went straight back into sleep mode because it hadn't actually ever come out of it. Anyway, I've had to, um, uh, I have time machine backups. Um, my question is, is there any way of restoring the data to a new machine, in this case, um, an iMac? I've got as far as connecting the, the drive with the time machine backups um, to the iMac, where, of course, it asks me if I want this drive to be the time machine backup, and I'm worried that if I say yes, then the next stage would be to overwrite my uh, MacBook Pro backups with the iMac data rather than give me the option that I'm looking for, which is to restore the um, the time machine backup from my um, rather poorly MacBook Pro to this iMac, which is only a temporary measure anyway, but it would just uh, be simpler. At the moment, I've just been dragging files backwards and forwards, um, but uh, it would just be much simpler if I could use the time machine backup. Any ideas, chaps? And this, as they say, is where you cut me off. <laughs> you folks are getting creative here. I like this. It's good. Uh, yeah. So John, why don't you take this? Go ahead. Oh, I think you should take it. All right, then I'll take it. Uh, I think, so we're talking about restoring from a time machine backup and, uh, definitely this is, this is totally doable. Um, plugging that, this is how it works. Uh, when you back up, it creates a folder on your drive that you're going to back up to. And it tags that folder with the Mac address of your machine. So uh, if you plug it into another machine or even essentially the same machine that's had a, a motherboard replaced, it's going to create a new folder and it's not going to overwrite uh, the machine. So if you take this and plug it into the iMac and you say, look, I just want to restore from the time machine backup. Boom. That's how it'll work. Uh, and and uh, I think I think it's going to work just fine. Am I missing something here, John, or are you you with me on this? I'm with you. Uh, okay. No, I, I see what you have here. Yes. Because uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the backup is tied to a specific machine. Um, right. Shouldn't be any worries. That's right. That's right. Uh, and you know, migration assistant will actually, as we talked about with the previous caller, uh, migration assistant will pull this data in. You, you, you can run migration assistant either, you know, the first time your machine starts up or, uh, you can go to, I believe it's a applications utilities, uh, is where the migration assistant lives and you can run that manually at any time uh, and uh, and tell it, yeah, go ahead and, and get this data, you know, pull this data from this, you know, other time machine backup. Uh, the other way you can do it is uh, you can, if you go up to your time machine menu at the top of the screen and you have another disc either attached or on the network, instead of saying enter time machine, which will enter time machine for that computer's backups. If you hold down the option key, you can go to browse other time machine discs, uh, and that will allow you to uh, look at the backups of other computers that are on that uh, on that drive. That learn something new every day, huh? Neat. See, that's it. That's that's the price of admission there, folks. Or that's worth the price of admission there. So. You know, here's another one very quick yeah, that I go. ran across yeah. I saw on Twitter. It, it's kind of related to the keyboard stuff and little shortcuts that I never noticed before. Yep. 
I was actually in iPhoto the other day and I was, because uh, I'm, you know, I like taking pictures and sharing and, and I like to, uh, now unfortunately the camera will give it a name that's, you know, usually P, whatever, whatever, whatever sure. the convention is for that camera. Sure. So what I do is I'll highlight the, the name that it gives it and then I'll type in a caption that I think is, is uh, useful. And I accidentally the other day hit escape. And lo and behold, it gave me a whole bunch of words that matched the first few letters that I had typed in. I'm like, huh? Really? And then I tried this, but then it seems to work in other places. So I tried this in uh, stickies and the same sort of thing. I typed, you know, first few letters here. I'm going to even try it now. Really? I'm so doing it right now in text edit. So I just typed in the word H-E-L because I'm thinking of typing hello. I hit escape and I see held, Helen, Helen's, Helena. Uh, you look question. I never knew hitting escape. Try, Go ahead. Do you have iTunes open? Uh, can, can you open up iTunes? And I, I want to I want you to try this there um, because I'm curious if this is available only in Cocoa apps or if it's available in Carbon apps and iTunes, as we uh, as we know, is still a Cocoa uh, is still a Carbon app, uh, whereas the rest of the apps that you mentioned, I believe, are all Cocoa apps. I'm pretty sure iPhoto is is Cocoa and has been for a while. So as I was vamping there, hopefully iTunes is now open on your machine, John, and you're and you're testing this out live. Yes. Hold on. Okay. Uh, he's he's leaning away to the other machine, folks. You can you can hear him? He's stretching. He's getting ready. Uh, I, see, I got to find a place on iTunes where I can enter information. I tried the info for a song. Yeah. I hit escape and it dismissed the window. Ah, right. Now that could be because it dismisses the window. So yeah. Um, so what if you what if you highlight a song name? Uh, you know, just in the in the browser view. I yeah, I get, and again, you know, this is probably the the wrong app to test this only because it's not the app where you would probably do these sorts of things. But uh, but it allows us to test that carbon versus cocoa thing. Anything, John? Um. Right, you know what I'm going to do? No, we'll, we'll, we'll try it later. But, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you te test it while I while I tell them about the uh, the next sponsor. But but go ahead, finish your thought. No, I, I don't have. I'm I'm going to try to find a place on iTunes where where I can do this. That's, okay. Uh, report back to you. All right. Awesome. So our second sponsor is GoToAssist Express from Citrix. Uh, any of you who have tried to help someone solve a technical problem over the phone will appreciate the value in something like uh, the go to go to assist express. Uh, and of course, the last thing you want to do even worse than being on the phone and trying to be uh, the brains while they're being the hands and eyes uh, and them driving uh, even worse than that is actually getting in the car. And of course, driving over there. And, and in some cases, of course, you know, they're thousands of miles away and that's not possible. So uh, the, the folks at Citrix, these are the same people that have go to my PC and go to meeting, have go to assist express. And it is a remote control uh, system for controlling remote computers. The cool part is you create your account as the techie. You go in, you create an account on, uh, you know, go to assist.com. You set all this up and then you say, I, OK, I want to go help someone and you give them a URL. You can email it to them. You could even read it to them over the phone if you had to. Uh, once they click that URL, it brings them to a web page. They go through. They authenticate. They say, yeah, I do want to let Dave, you know, uh, manage my computer. And then, boom, you're sitting there waiting. And then suddenly you get notification that, yep, here we go. And it brings you in. 
John and I have tried this. It traverses firewalls really, really well. Uh, and of course, it gives the user whose computer is being controlled the option to end the session at any time. Uh, you can try this out. It's called GoToAssist Express. You can try it out for free uh, by going to GoToAssist.com slash Gab. That's all lowercase. GoToAssist.com slash G-A-B, all lowercase. And, uh, and you can try that out. So uh, we appreciate them sponsoring the show. And hopefully you'll uh, you'll appreciate checking it out. John, did you... Uh, how are we doing over there? Did you, you know have I, any, any I, luck? I don't know if iTunes is the best app to test this because yeah, basically anything I brought up, Escape will hit the cancel button in the dialogue. And almost everything that I brought up had a cancel button. So I think if you bring up a window that does not have a cancel button, which is, of course, the case in text edit or sure. stickies, um, then hitting Escape and also uh, iPhoto because uh, iPhoto... You know, that dialogue there where you, where you, you know, highlight the, the name of the picture yeah. and then start to type something, escape doesn't close it. Right. So I, so I think it's just a weird name. Though you bring up a good I, point. I, I may, think it's only Coco. I, I think it's only Coco. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And iTunes is the, the Still, one holdout from their uh, iLife suite that does not. So everything else is uh, Coco, GarageBand and, uh, and uh, stuff there? Okay. I think so. I think they are. Yeah, I think so. I think. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just I'm just here. I'm just I'm happy to be here. Uh, all right, so let's go to uh, let's go to David's question here. This sure. is it. This is interesting. Hi guys, this is David from Boise, Idaho again. Uh, sorry for sending two notes, but I just ran across another issue. Um, I have my son on the computer who's 12 uh, with parental controls applied to his account. Now this issue again applies to Gmail in that neither he nor any of his friends, when logged into his account, can select the sign-in option to either sign into their own Google page or sign into their own Gmail account. Uh, Safari just pops up a message saying, cannot open page. Now, I have gone in and, uh, through the parental controls, added access to Google.com as well as the individual site address strings for Gmail and iGoogle to allow them to sign into their own uh, accounts and sites. However, this still brings up the exact same message. Um, And I have also gone through Reset Safari. I've manually cleared out the cookies, the cache, the history, um, each of those different options and still end up with the same results. Now, if I go into the parental controls and also, or switch it to allow all sites um, in the parental controls for the internet, then all of a sudden it will allow everything to go through just fine. Um, but obviously this is not the ideal way for the parental controls to work right now because I would still like to be able to filter some of the unsavory content out there. So if you have any thoughts on this, that would be great. I am using Snow Leopard, and I have downloaded the combo updates, so I know it's not an issue there. Um, and I've also checked the communities and found that other people are having similar issues with this and also with uh, Netflix as well. So if you could help us out again, that would be great. This would be where you cut me off. All right. Uh, John, I don't use parental controls here, although the day may come when that's the right move right now. Open DNS has been uh, 
been a good thing hmm. for uh, for for me to manage. We, we haven't had any problems, but you know, it's just a peace of mind. I use OpenDNS, and I tell it don't. You know, don't don't resolve any uh, porn sites or you know. Oh, all right. So so they have a like a web configuration utility exactly. that lets you. Uh, yep. You you set them as your DNS provider uh, on the router, and I know this is a tangent, but that's you know that's what you come here for, right? Um, the uh, with Open DNS, you set them as your you go into your router and you set them as your DNS provider. You set them as every DNS provider of mine. I have three options for it, so I put all I put there. They've only got two addresses. I put them in. You know, put the first one in the first and third, and then the second one in the second, and uh, and then you can go online and you configure your account, and uh, you can do it for free, or you can pay ten bucks a year for your family, and uh, and get even more options. But but yeah, you can go in and and they categorize all the domains. It's sort of a crowdsourcing thing where they have uh, people vote on it, and uh, and domains can get categorized various different ways. But but you can go th- go through and you can either block domains uh, explicitly, whitelist domains explicitly, or Go through and say, look, I don't want porn. I don't want gambling. I don't want tobacco. I mean, it, it gets really specific, which is cool because, I, you know, I don't I don't care about gambling and, and tobacco and, you know, alcohol and all that. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, the porn stuff, I leave that out. You know, it's fine. So now can you can you uh, do that to a, a machine level? Mm. Well, or is it, because you get a IP address for a DNS server. Is that correct? Correct. It, it, yeah, it looks at the IP address that your request comes from, which for me is oh, the one okay. IP address for the whole house. Right. You know, for the whole for the whole setup okay. here. So in your case, it's global. It's global. Okay. If I if, if for for whatever reason, you know, you need to bypass. I mean, my, my wife. Every now and then I'll say to me, oh, I can't get to this site because she's looking at some, you know, knitting project or something that's hosted at like deviantart.com. And she's like, oh, this is a pain. Like, OK, well, I can yeah, either go in and whitelist it and it happens immediately, um, okay. well, you know, within a minute or whatever. Their servers are smart enough to pick it up. And, you know, the next time I come come up, uh, I want to gamble up a storm. So, uh, yeah. so we'll just whitelist those. Things. Well, we can whitelist them or <laughs> what you do is you put in. Uh, you know, and, and of course, you know, all the parents who are listening to this with their kids that use open DNS, uh, sorry, but, uh, but what you do is you find out the IP address of the, the name server, like, you know, for us here, since we use Comcast, you find, you find out Comcast name server address, and then you just go onto your Mac and instead of having the router's address that's assigned, you just put in your Comcast one, uh, or, you know, whatever your local provider's one is, and then it, it just simply bypass that and, uh. And, and do it. But but you need admin access to the machine. So for you parents that don't want your kids to do what we what we just told you, don't give your kids admin access to their machines. So, uh, What were we talking about? Anyway, back to David's question with the parental controls. Uh, here we go. So I took a look at this, John, and it seems like Google when you. I looked at the source of the Gmail login page and I found that there are two things uh, that it might try to access when you click sign in. One is at HTTPS colon slash slash mail dot Google dot com. And the other is at HTTPS colon slash slash www dot Google dot com. I don't know which of those it is. It was hard to tell. Uh, but those are the two things that I would definitely whitelist. If that doesn't work, uh, I believe system preferences keeps logs. And if you go into your. I'm sorry, I believe parental controls keeps logs. So you go into system preferences, click on parental controls and click on the user. And then under each user, there's a logs tab. And uh, under that, there's a listing for website blocked. Uh, So under the logs tab, 
son of a gun. This thing is stuttering on me. I, I'm hating Snow Leopard on this machine, John. Well, you're going to restore it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, under system preferences, parental controls, user, click on logs. It's doing it to me again. It's like, it's taunting me. I'm going to try this one more time. Oh. System preferences, parental controls, the user, logs, websites blocked. And uh, that should show you what it did. All right, are we here? Is this thing still going to work? You with me, John? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, so that, that should show you what it has blocked. And in theory, uh, you know, you'll, you'll know what to whitelist. And it gives you a little UI to, uh, to do that there. You got anything to add to that, John? No, I, I really, really haven't used the parental controls since I'm the, the only adult here, and trust myself to make the proper judgment. <laughs> right, well, next time, next time we're together, I'll I'll install parental controls on your machine for you, John. <laughs> oh, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to uh, where where are we here time wise? It's time to do something about this machine, is what it is. Um, what did they break? In in Snow Leopard. Or not Snow Leopard. But it's worse than Snow Leopard. But what did they break with these Intel machines? This was great with the PowerPC Mac. Uh, all right. We will go to Michael's question. Michael writes, I run Windows 7 in boot camp so I can play Call of Duty 4 and Fallout 3. The performance is great, but the left side of the keyboard of my MacBook Pro gets very hot very quickly. Do you think this is normal? The specs that are, I have the most basic MacBook Pro that, uh, that you can get 15 inch. All right, John, we talked about this and uh, in, in, I guess it was Mac Geek Gab 243, which was a premium show and was also the one we did live at Macworld Expo. But, uh, but we did talk about this then. And, and so it's worth, it's worth reiterating here, but I'll let you go ahead. Um, but I'll speculate now. One, I think I'm wondering if it may be a design flaw in some of the MacBook Pros. I mean, the, the the heat has to go somewhere, and since the hard drive is is pretty much on the left side of the machine, there. Um, the other thing I'm wondering about is if that hard drive is not the hard drive that, that originally came in the machine. That maybe it's a higher capacity or different. It may be drawing more power and therefore generating more heat. Um, Could be, yeah. So that's my thought. Now, there's something called temperature monitor. Now, he says he's running this in uh, boot camp, right? Right. So maybe, you know, after, you know, quickly after, you know, once the machine's all cranked up there, uh, reboot, go into Mac OS, uh, or even, uh, I don't know if Windows uh, Windows programs would have the ability to get to these temperature sensors, but there is something called temperature monitor on the Mac side, which will probe every... Um, every temperature sensor in the machine. And, and uh, there are usually quite a few, including one, at least in my MacBook Pro, that measures the uh, hard drive temperature. So look at that number. Now, I think I came up when I was at the, the, the show there uh, with like something under 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but really? yeah, it's uh, my, well, 90, 92 degrees. Is that what your MacBook Pro is running at right now? The hard drive temp. The hard drive temp. Yeah. Yeah. All right. John F. Braun, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. No, Check here we go. There Sorry, I'm making noise here. Uh, okay. Smartness, Hitachi, blah, 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 blah. 93.2 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the coolest thing in the machine. Oh, look at this. Enclosure bottom side, 93.2 degrees. Huh. Funny how those two match. And then everything <laughs> else, 
And actually, the highest temperature here is between the uh, the CPU, which is up at 183. Yeah. And uh, the GPU, um, that's about 170. But um, yeah, so actually the 93 is, is a, you know, the, the lowest number, again, on this machine here. I think the bottom side. on the MacBook Pros, if I'm not mistaken, I think the GPU is also on the left-hand side. Um, and I might be wrong about that, but it's possible that, you know, because you're, you're running that uh, the 3D stuff that, you know, it's using the GPU a whole lot more and that might be adding to the heat that's over there from, uh, from the hard drive itself. So, yeah. But the, uh, the answer is yes, it's normal. Uh, lots of people report that these machines get hot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that they have those cool pads uh, that you can kind of put between or, your, your yep. lap and the machine. It, it's, or it's normal. Yeah. Yep. Or stand. The worst thing is to have it flush uh, either directly in contact with something or like probably the worst thing, which I, I used to do, but didn't, you know, say you want to, you know, do some surfing before you go to sleep Well, putting it on a blanket or something like that. Well, that's a nice insulator right there. Yeah. That's not going to help your heat flow. So uh, try to get something to get airflow going under the machine. Um, if at all possible. Uh, all right. Where are we here, John? I'm all, uh, oh, this is good. Let's go to Robert here. Uh, as soon as I can get there. Hi, John and Dave. It's Robert Hazelrig calling you, um, because I got a brand new iMac and my iMac is giving me issues. Go figure. It's a refurb 24 inch that I got for 30% off, 38% off. Anyway, the issue that I'm getting is, is every time I open any third-party, every time I open a third-party uh, software application, um, it reminds me that I downloaded this from the internet, uh, and do I want to open it anyway? Now I've opened these applications several times, and every time I say yes, it's okay. Uh, but it asks me every single time I open any third-party application like Skype or Handbrake or CyberDuck, any of those applications, even uh, 1Password, just keeps opening uh, that query up again every time. I went in and opened all the applications and tried to repair permissions, and I got this unusual message. The unusual message is, warning, SUID file system, uh, file in system library core has been modified and will not be repaired. Now, I don't know what that is or what I should do about it. I'm afraid to remove any files from the uh, the library core. But um, anyway, if you have uh, any suggestions, I would appreciate it. Hope you guys had a wonderful time at Macworld, and I hope it was as fruitful as you had hoped it would be. My contact is... All right, we'll cut you off there, Robert. Um, um, last point first. Yeah, the, go that ahead. warning that he got. Yeah. Um, there is an Apple knowledge base article, uh, TS1448. Um, the following are examples of messages that may appear in disutility log window when repairing disk permissions. And there's a whole boatload of them. Warning, SUID file, and then uh, I forget the one that he mentioned specifically, and they have a big old list here, has been modified and will not be repaired. And their resolution to this is you can safely ignore these messages. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm serious yeah. now. No, you're you right. Know, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, disconcerting that you know. Well, I think something's wrong, and I'm not going to fix it. And yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but but we'll link to that article. So so that that's not a problem. 
However, the, the one that he is running into, to me, that does sound like a problem because normally that message should only come up once. Well, and oh, here's, how would you fix it? Dave? Here's the thing. The message shouldn't necessarily come up at all. The only time I've seen that message come up is when I install a new app and before I run it for the first time, yeah. I launch it by opening yeah. a document. Right. So instead of clicking on the app itself and saying, you know, open this, uh, you know, by double clicking on it or clicking on it in the dock or whatever, let's say it's Microsoft Word. Right. If I install Microsoft Word and then launch it, it's fine. But if I install Microsoft Word and then go into my documents folder and double click on a Word doc, it says, hey, wait a minute. This action that you've that you've initiated here is going to open off Microsoft open up Microsoft Word for the first time. Are you sure you want to do that? And you say yes, and then off you go. So it should never happen with something like Skype, where you're you're only doing it directly by opening Skype. Now, Skype has a different warning. It'll say, you know, you downloaded this from the Internet. Are you sure you want to do it? And again, that should happen once, and that'll happen either way. Uh, so something's wrong here. And I believe all of this is stored in a database that Mac OS X calls the Launch Services Database. Uh, that is, uh, you know, part of the buried in, in Mac OS 10. And it's the thing that keeps track of all these things. Uh, I'm reminded of this because anytime I rebuild the launch services database, I deal once with the uh, very messages that Robert is uh, talking about here. So uh, to rebuild it, there's some terminal command you can do. But listen, you know, no, you don't have to do that. Go download Onyx. It's free. Uh, and then go into maintenance rebuild so you're going to click on maintenance at the top then you go to the rebuild tab and then make sure launch services is checked on that same screen dyld shared cache uh is fine uh, that's all, that's going to be checked you can you can leave that and there's two others that are going to be checked that's going to be fine execute tell it to rebuild it's a matter of good course reboot the computer once it's done uh, and that should hopefully you know hopefully what your problem robert is is that you've got a corrupted launch services database but uh, but by rebuilding it, it'll force you to go through all of that one more time. And then hopefully you'll be OK. Uh, I do recommend rebuilding launch services maybe once every six months because it can get it can get tied in knots. It, you know, it's it's uh, it, yeah. So, again, Onyx will do it for you. And uh, I think that'll solve your issue. Got anything else, John? Nice. That's a good one. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. The message is, is kind of annoying sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, well-intentioned, right? But uh, but it can be a pain. All right. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about a couple things. As I was digging out from Macworld, you know, I have my my bags of, uh, of tricks here. And as I was digging out, I wanted to, uh, to, to talk about two things that I use. And I realized that they're both uh, made by the same company called Cable Drive. Obviously, I travel with my iPhone. I also travel with an iPod while traveling. I, yeah, traveling while traveling. Sorry. And uh, and one thing that so I do, I, I, I use uh, on the airplane. I have um, a, sp a spare battery that I like to plug in if I'm using a, uh, you know, watching a movie or whatever, John. And I had this problem because I'm taking my cables and just shoving them into my bag and, and not being very, very good about them. And cable drive has this cable that they call the DuraSync cable. And it's got a USB port on one end, like you'd plug into your computer or this external battery. And on the other end, you plug it into the back of your iPhone. And this is like this DuraSync cable. It, it's made 
to be completely beat on and still work. Uh, you know, the, the big problem would be is, is, uh, you know, you're, you're twisting it up and all that stuff. Well, this thing it's, it's well shielded. It's got like, you know, three layers of rubber and all this other stuff on it. It's, it's thick, but it's totally the right thing to use for this purpose. So I, I wanted to mention that cause I, 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 I'm always so thankful for it every time I pull it out and I never think to mention it on the show, um, that, uh, that I, you know, that I'm actually that I'm doing it because I'm always in the air when I, when I think of it. Then the other thing that I have uh, that I also got from cable jive is this thing called the I stubs, which is a really, really short uh, cable. It's got us same thing, USB on one end and the uh, dock connector on the other. And, but it's like, you know, maybe six inches long, which is great. If I want to charge my iPod on the, on the desk in the hotel and not just have cables everywhere. So, uh, so I carry both of those and I, I like it. And the next, the next thing I want to get, it, th- these guys, these guys make all the cool little things is I want to get a dock cable extender because I've got a, um, uh, a speaker system in the house here, the old spec, uh, spec tone retro speaker system, but it, it's got a dock connector in it, but I don't like to take my iPod or iPhone out of its case to, to plug it in. So I want to get one of those extenders. So that's, that's the next purchase from, from cable jive. So I figured I'd throw that out there because it's cool stuff. Maybe I should have saved it for cool stuff found John. Could have. Now, now you did something else here, Dave. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, talk we can. We can briefly because I have a little tangent off of it. That that's something that's always concerned me. Okay, uh, so I uh, w- when I was going through my machines, you know, I've got the iMac at the house now. That that machine had two gigs of RAM, two one gig sticks, uh, and then the Intel iMac here in the studio has uh, had two two gig sticks, and the one in the house we're constantly use- doing fast user switching and. Uh, I, I know that we're always, you know, pushing up against the limits of the RAM because I look and, and iStat menus tells me that we are. So I figured, well, you know, why don't and I'm never using I'm, I'm not even close to using all the RAM. Uh, I'm barely using t- the two gigs on uh, on this machine here in the office and it has four in the studio and it has four. So I figured, well, why don't why not mix them up? And so I took, you know, one two gig stick out of one, one one gig stick out of the other and swapped them. And so now I've got three gigs in each. Uh, the office machine's been fine RAM wise. We're still not even ever going into swap. And it has made a huge difference in the house in terms of the performance of that machine going from two gigabytes to three, even without the fast user switching uh, being used. It's still way faster. It wakes up from sleep faster. I mean, it's clear that two gigs was simply not enough to do, re- you know, the regular day to day tasks. I don't do anything special with that machine uh, at all. But uh, mm-hmm. but three gigs makes a huge difference over there. So uh, so I wanted to mention that just because it you know it I, I've always said in the past oh yeah two gigs is enough no I, I don't believe that anymore three no. gigs makes the is the is the difference with certainly with Snow Leopard. So that, no, I that's disagree. I uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, the the the, the Dell, um, the the Dell that I was using had two gigs and it was limited. Yeah, to two gigs, you could not put any more right. in there. Right, it started sucking after a while because also I was using it for development purposes, and that you know, right, takes a lot of memory. So, um, and yeah, both my machines, my MacBook Pro, I have four gigs, and then my uh, my uh, G5 here, I actually have five and a half gigs. Oh, very uh, cool. And that's comfortable. Now, the one thing that bugs the heck out of me, David, uh, this will be a I don't know if it's a geek challenge, but just a question to the to our audience here is um. The iMac, for whatever reason, I, I've gone on about this before, but there's something called dual channel support where we're, uh, we have in the past, I think, uh, suggested that in general you get a small performance boost if you have a matched pair of memory that, that are the same size and speed and all of that stuff. 
And as far as I can tell, the only mach- the only Mac that does not support that, and crucially even back specs uh, you up on this, is the iMac. The Mac Pro supports it. The MacBook Pro supports it. I believe the MacBook supports it. Um, and even the Mac Mini supports it. All of these machines advertise this support. Now, on the other hand, it gives you a, a marginal performance increase. I, I think it's on the order of 3 to 5%. I think that's right, um, yeah. And, and from what I've seen, I, I found a study. I'll try to dig it up again. But if you have a choice between matched memory, assuming that your iMac would, would benefit from it, and adding more memory, clearly go for more memory. Uh, okay. uh, again, it, it was shocking that the, the study I saw where it said, yeah, well, you get this little smidge of performance, maybe in this one benchmark, but then all these other benchmarks having more memory or like in Photoshop or something like that clearly gave you a, sure. so I'm going to find that because it's, it's counterintuitive. I would think, well, you know, dual channel, I mean, you get, you know, I, I think it addresses the memory in, you know, 128 bit chunks instead of 64 or something like that. But okay. It, it sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does sound good. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. So, so, so uh, I think one of the things short of getting an SSD is getting more memory. If you want, if you want your Mac uh, to run fast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And it's strange that the iMacs are the seem, seemingly the lone Apple machines uh, that don't support dual channel. It, it, yeah. I don't, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I, because I looked that up after I did it and realized it was faster. I thought, Ooh, but am I going to see a performance decrease in the office or in the studio now that I'm not dual channel? And I looked it up and thought, well, thank goodness. Nope. I'm good. So, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. Oh, hi band. It's time. Those guys are going to get sick of playing that song one of these years, you know. Mm, no, nah, no. Nah. Hey, they they, <laughs> they they get the the royalties, man. It's uh, that's right. Oh yeah. So Dave, oh gosh, we didn't even mention this, but uh, if you want to get in touch with us, how, how would you go about doing so? I would pick up the phone and I would call two zero six 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 Geek, which is four three three five. Another way you could get in touch with us is to send us an email uh, with an audio attachment or just uh, you know type something up. And you can send us an email at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I'm pretty sure I heard you, but just in case, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's absolutely correct. Um, you can Skype us at uh, MacGeekGab? Yeah, that's right. MacGeekGab. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's right. Awesome. Uh, all right. We'll take it from there. I guess that's it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bail out while the, uh, while the sound is still working. I have some ideas as to what to try. It's increasing more buffers in different ways, but, uh, man, it's getting crazy. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm going to do, Dave? I am being the heck of a guy that I am. I'm going to give you a 100% refund on the cost of that advice. Uh, are you going to give me a 100% refund on the what the advice cost me? In terms of time? Um, Headache? No. And I I would say the bad news in this case is that, Dave, you you did get caught. Made up.